0: I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts and the Burbs, a podcast of ghost stories from Wellesley, Massachusetts. A warning. Adults who use adult language told me these frightening tales, these ghost stories, aren't for kids. I probably should have mentioned this before, but if you are new to this podcast, I recommend that you start by listing from the very beginning with ghost story number one. Some old friends have come around again, and things will make much more sense if you understand how and why these people are back in the picture. Also, thank you so very much for all of the reviews on iTunes. Keep them coming. I love reading them. One gentleman reviewer mentioned that my swearing, though appropriate for the setting, feels jarring, coming from my sweet voice. Reading this at first, I thought, darn, I might be overdoing it a bit with the cussing, and then I thought, well, shucks, no one's ever referred to my voice as sweet before. So thanks, man. I think. Now, on to ghost story number fourteen. Kids are the fucking worst. How are the renovations coming? Betty asked, grabbing her latte off the table. You know, they're coming. I answered vaguely. "'You look like you haven't slept in weeks,' she commented. "'Don't pull any punches,' I replied, laughing. "'The house is great. "'It's just a bigger project than we'd expected, "'so it's been a touch overwhelming.' "'That was an understatement. "'I wasn't sleeping well, "'and Chris and I were either walking on eggshells around each other "'or bickering like PTO co-presidents "'trying to choose an autumn fundraiser theme. "'On top of that, I'd begun biting my nails again,' a habit I hadn't entertained since middle school. I'd reach out to Biddy for Emily, who suspected she needed her home cleansed of an evil entity, and then Biddy had reached back out to me. She wanted to catch up and discuss what had happened in Emily's house. I hoped Biddy might fill me in on the banishment ritual that her old paranormal contacts had performed on the Hayes house, so I brought along my digital recorder. I began to ask her a question about Emily's home when Biddy interrupted. "'How are the girls?' Good, I said, nodding my head. They're really good. Even with all the construction? She prodded. Yeah, really, it's just Chris and I that are stressed about it. We just... I hesitated, choosing my words carefully. We're just getting used to the house, I think. Betty tilted her head up a bit, jutting out her chin. What is it? It's the electricity, I sighed. We've had a guy out, and he couldn't find anything wrong. The lights, I mean, not just the lights, the power to the whole house will go off out of nowhere. Then not even a minute later, it turns back on. Anything electrical freaks me out, especially since the house is so old. Anything else? She asked, her eyes attempting to maintain a contact that mine could not return. You mean besides fearing an electrical fire? I said with a smirk. No, I just haven't had insomnia like this since after Joy was born. I'm having these super realistic dreams of mundane nonsense. Like I'm in college and forgot that I had a final. Or I'm at the grocery store checking out three full carts of pirate's booty when I realize I forgot my wallet. Just stupid dreams. That they get my mind going and then I wake up and worry my way through the rest of the night. I'm sure it's just the stress from moving and construction and the kids. Life stuff. I... Let me send my electrician over. Biddy interrupted. He's used to me calling and having him double-check old houses. I'll get him over next week. We're away next week, I said. Where to? Nantucket, I replied. Even better. I'll send him over while you're away, and he can fix whatever needs fixing. When you come home, you can light that place up like a Christmas tree if you want. I accepted the offer gratefully. So that's it, huh? Electricity on the fritz and some stress dreams, She asked. Yep, I said, picking at a cuticle. That's the gist of it. Uh Uh-huh. Biddy took another sip of her drink and seemed to consider for a moment before saying, Eric, the tech guy from my old ghost hunting team, wants to talk to you about something that happened to him, but I don't know if it's such a good idea. You seem like you're burning it at both ends. No, not at all. I'm looking for a story for the blog, I said quickly. We chatted a while about Emily's successful house clearing, of which there wasn't much to report. Biddy explained that Emily sensed a decrease in activity before the priest came to bless the house, and Jane, Biddy's psychic friend, told her that though she could feel there had been something dark in the home at one point, it was no longer there. She reasoned that perhaps it had been too attached to the previous property to truly travel with Emily's family. Whatever the case, Emily's home was clear of negative energies. "'Now who are these handsome gentlemen?' Eric demanded, handing me a rectangular white box before bending down to greet my dogs. "'That's Walter and Artie,' I answered, holding the door for Eric to come in. "'Which is which?' he asked. "'Walter's the pudgy one,' I explained. "'Well, they're a perfect pair,' Eric enthused. "'My grandmother had Westies. "'One of them used to actually dig moles right up out of the ground.' "'Yeah, they're supposed to be critter catchers, "'but these guys haven't had much luck,' I said.' "'Thanks for coming over during Cat's nap. "'I was afraid I'd miss the chance to talk with you.' "'What's this?' I asked, indicating the box he'd given me. "'Russell Stover's,' he said, looking up at me with a big smile. "'Cut it out!' I exclaimed, ripping off the paper. "'It's the nut-chewy-crisp assortment! "'These are the frickin' best! Thank you!' I gushed, genuinely thrilled. "'You really know your stuff,' he observed with a laugh. "'I love em too, and I didn't want to come empty-handed.' "'He stood and looked around.' So you're doing some work, huh? It's a work in progress, I replied, motioning to the plastic sheeting taped over several doorways. We can sit in the yard. it will be much more comfortable than this construction zone. What can I get you to drink? I have coffee, sparkling water, tea. Sparkling water would be perfect, he replied. I poured him the water, grabbed my own coffee, the box of candy and the baby monitor, and led Eric outside. We arranged ourselves on two Adirondack chairs and the dogs happily sat near our feet. It was early August and rather warm, but a big old maple tree shaded us from the sun, and a light breeze kept us cool. This was my first time meeting Eric. You know those guys who have an intensely loyal Labrador retriever named Chief who follows them around without question? Eric was that kind of guy, a self assured, quietly confident Alpha. He wore a striped polo shirt tucked into khaki shorts held up by an embroidered nautical flag belt. The worn and spears were a given. I could picture him on a dock loading a Yeti cooler onto his Boston Whaler, or grilling ribs in the backyard, or patiently standing in a long line at Starbucks with a smile on his face. All of this was a total shock to me. I'd pictured a totally different Eric. The only thing I knew about him beforehand was that he was the tech guy on Biddy's old paranormal team. I'd imagine a tall, dark-haired, thin man with densely drawn arm tattoos. The Eric of my imagination wore black t-shirts, torn skinny jeans, and vans. As usual, reality was so much more interesting than my imagination. After chatting a bit about my choice of audio recorder, a little Sony digital voice recorder that I could tell he found lacking, I asked him what he did for work. I wondered what sort of tech guy he actually was. I'm an information security analyst for a financial company in Boston, he told me. So do you, like, make sure spies don't hack people's 401ks or something? I kidded something like that he said reaching for a chocolate I followed suit and grabbed a caramel before admitting I use the same password for everything me too Eric replied I use my dog's name really I asked no not really change your passwords you're gonna get hacked you dingbat I rolled my eyes and laughed despite feeling like an idiot anyway tell me about hunting ghosts I don't hunt ghosts anymore He said, seriously. Oh, I thought you were in charge of all the technology for Biddy's old group, I said, a bit confused. I was. I began working with Biddy years ago, helping her to set up video and voice recorders so she could document her ghost hunts. I got into the whole technology side of it. We were one of the first groups to use the ghost box. I met Frank Sumption at a paranormal conference back in 2002, and he gave me one of his first Frank's boxes. It completely blew my mind and made me a believer. Is that the thing that scans through the radio stations and lets ghosts carry on conversations? I asked. I'd seen these devices used on ghost adventures, and while they made for exciting television, I highly doubted they were paranormal walkie-talkies. Technically speaking, an AM-FM portable radio is modified to scan through the AM frequencies, he explained. An investigator may ask any spirits present to answer questions, and since it's believed that spirit responses travel in the same frequencies of AM stations, we're able to actually receive answers to our questions. In other words, we can hold real conversations with ghosts. Hmm, I said, impartially. I get it. It sounds like junk science, until you witness it for yourself. I know Biddy's told you about Poe, right? Oh, yes, of course. I replied, jarred at hearing the name of the shadow figure that had trailed Biddy for most of her life. I caught Poe's voice multiple times on the ghost box, in multiple locations, on multiple dates. His voice is very refined. It's unique, unmistakable, really, Eric insisted. I know, I said, quietly. Oh, did Biddy play some of my recordings for you? No, I, well, I caught his voice, I mean his laughter, on the recording of our interview. I admit it. No fucking way, Eric said, obviously impressed. Yeah, his voice was definitely distinct. I can imagine hearing it on the ghost box must have been terrifying, I said. Oh, it was. I can play some of the recordings for you if you like, he offered. No, thank you, I said firmly. But is that what you wanted to talk about? Digital voice recordings? I asked. No, sorry I got sidetracked. I didn't always believe in the paranormal. I loved science fiction as a kid, and I've always been into technology, so hooking up with Biddy's team just began as a hobby. Once I realized there was more to it than creaking old houses and faulty electricity, I started to take it seriously. From what Biddy told me, you guys had a lot of success hunting ghosts, I remarked. Looking back on it, I think they had success hunting us, he said. But it's not the ghost I want to tell you about. He took a sip of water before continuing. You know, I haven't told many people about this. Betty's a good friend, and she told me about your blog, so I asked her to put us in touch. I think people need to know about the kids. Kids? I asked, praying that he wasn't about to go off on the so-called indigo children that were all the rage a few years ago. Yeah, the first time I saw them I was on a run around Rockridge Pond Trail right off Cliff Road. Do you know it? Wellesley was crisscrossed with walking and hiking trails, "'and I jogged or walked the dogs on many of them, "'but I hadn't heard of Rockridge Pond, and I told him so. "'Good,' he said firmly. "'Keep it that way. "'I saw them there first. "'I've thought so many times about that morning. "'It was a Saturday, and I have a usual weekend running route, "'but for some reason I changed it up that day. "'It was a last-minute decision to turn off the road.' I wondered if they did something to make me turn onto that path. Really, they must have. It felt like a setup. Hold on, who are you talking about? I asked. Right, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it was the kids. The black-eyed kids. That's where I saw them for the first time, on that path. Have you heard of them? "Mm Mm-hmm. I managed to mumble. I did know about the black-eyed children, though I wish that I'd never heard of them. Part of the lore of these black-eyed kids is that they will only appear to you if you know about them. So let me just give you a warning, dear creeped-out listener. If you do not want to know about them and test that part of the lore, stop listening now and come back for the next story. Earlier this summer, I interviewed a nanny in Nantucket, and she had an awesome haunted house story. If you don't want to tempt fate, skip the rest of this tale and come back for the next one. But for those of you who plan to ride this out... The phenomena of the black-eyed children is well-documented and pervasive. The first documented encounter appears to be from Brian Bethel in 1998. The journalist's story spread across the internet after an email detailing his encounter went viral as it was forwarded by friends, friends of friends, and so forth. As the story goes, Bethel was on his way to pay a bill when he pulled his car over in front of a movie theater to use a light from the street lamp to write a check. Two kids approached his car and knocked on his window. He was immediately filled with intense fear. Not the kind of fleeting fear that occurs when someone startles you. No, he said it was a dread like he'd never felt before. One kid asked if Bethel would give them a ride to their mother's house. The boy insisted it wouldn't take long. They just needed money to see a movie in the theater. "'We're just kids,' the kid insisted before raising his face and showing Bethel his black eyes." No pupils, no irises, just blackness. Appropriately, Bethel freaked out. The boy continued, We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Like the smartest man in a horror movie, Bethel peeled out of there and looked in the rearview mirror only to see that the two kids had disappeared. Google black-eyed kids, or B-E-K, and you'll find countless stories of encounters with these beings. I would love to lump these creatures in with tales of the Slender Man or Dog Men. Sure. Totally credible sources who have absolutely no reason whatsoever to tell these horrifying stories have reported seeing all of these creatures. But I prefer to believe that it is all fiction, because if it isn't, if there really are black-eyed children and packs of dogmen in the woods, then we simply are not safe. Ever. And here was Eric, physically fit, technologically minded, preppy, and apparently of sound mind, telling me that he'd had an encounter with black-eyed kids, Safety is a facade. "'You really have heard of these things?' Eric asked, a bit shocked. "'I've read a few stories about them,' I replied. "'I know enough about them to know that I never want to be anywhere near one.' Eric looked at the old tree above us for a moment, then said, "'Biddy told me you were interested in the paranormal, but forgive me, you don't really seem the type.' "'Right back at ya, I countered with a smile.' "'You look like you should be golfing. "'And you look like you should be driving that Suburban "'parked out front to the local chapter of Oprah's Brook Club. "'I'd even bet that you're the only one who actually read the book,' "'he shot back with a smirk. "'You got me,' I said, laughing. "'Then I grabbed another chocolate and asked, "'So what happened?' "'It was last fall, and I was out for my run this one Saturday morning. "'I usually run out to Natick Center and then come back "'and finish with a loop around Lake Wobbin,' That's far, I commented. Are you training for something? Always, he answered. Do you run? Not recently, I replied. Between our recent move and a family trip to Nantucket, I'd thrown my back out to an extent that I have never done before. I was literally sleeping on my kitchen floor. It was the hardest, smoothest surface in the house, and it allowed me to sleep until about 3 a.m. each night. I was on serious nerve pills and muscle relaxers. Though I'd been a faithful, slow, and awkward jogger for the past 15 years or so, I had two marathons under my belt. I used to think of myself as physically able to conquer discomfort, but I had been proven wrong. I hadn't been able to jog in a couple months. The pain had been too great. A break is good every once in a while, he replied kindly, sensing there was more to the story. Sometimes, I half-heartedly agreed. Well, that morning I decided to change up my route, I planned to run out and back on Cliff Road and then maybe stop at Starbucks before heading home. Where do you live? I asked. In a neighborhood off Central Street, over near EA Davis, he replied with a wave of his hand. It was one of those perfect running mornings, you know? A crisp, overcast fall morning with a slight breeze, and my legs felt great. It was effortless. I just nodded my head, surprised to find myself holding back tears. I really miss running. Eric continued. So I'm running out on Cliff Road, and I see this trail sign for Rockridge Pond. Have you been there? I shook my head no. I hadn't ever heard of it, and I told him so. Yeah, me neither, he replied. I figured I'd take a quick detour and check it out. The leaves had all begun to turn, so it was a good day for a trail run. The path is rather wide at first, tree-lined and totally covered overhead, and then it opens to a small clearing with this random granite table and benches. I remember wishing I had my phone with me. With the fall foliage and the pond in the background, it would have made for a good, spooky photo. I stopped for a moment, getting my bearings. There were a few paths I could take. Two looked like they led back into neighborhoods, but a third appeared to skirt the pond, so I chose that one. It was narrow, and I was washing my feet as I ran, since the ground was covered with rocks and tree roots. The trail is a couple of little wooden walkways to keep you from stepping into muck. I just crossed the second walkway and was headed up a short incline when I looked up and saw this little boy sitting on the ground, hunched over next to a cluster of trees. One of his legs was pulled to his chest, and the other was straight out. It gave me a real start. I actually stopped short and just stared for a minute, trying to catch my breath. I figured that he'd fallen and maybe hurt his leg or something, but there was something off about him. He must have heard me coming, but he didn't move a muscle. It even crossed my mind for a moment that he might be deaf. Y'all right there, buddy? I called to him. I was probably about 20, maybe 25 feet away from him. His head tilted to the side a bit, and he said something, but he didn't look up, and I couldn't hear him. Something made me not want to get anywhere near this kid. I'm not embarrassed to admit that I was actually terrified, but like an idiot, I shook the feeling off and convinced myself that it was just a kid and he might need help. Here we go, I said, wanting him to stop the story right there and talk to me about ghost boxes again. Yep. "'Here we go,' he agreed. "'I took a few steps forward and called to him again. "'Hey, buddy, what's up?' "'The kid just shook his head back and forth. "'At this point, that twinge of fear I had turned into annoyance. "'I'd been having an awesome run. "'Why the hell had I turned down this path, you know? "'I kept walking towards him, and the little fucker just sat there, stock still. "'I considered turning around, but you know what?' "'I honestly thought that maybe it was one of those television what-would-you-do setups, "'like a camera was going to pop out of the woods "'and some reporter would accuse me of being a spineless bastard. "'Eric and I laughed at this for a moment, and I agreed. "'I live in constant fear of undercover investigations. "'It's why I always return my grocery cart to the holding pen.' "'Well, if that had been the case, "'then it would have accounted for the way the whole scene just didn't feel right,' said Eric. "'As I got closer to him, I noticed his clothes. "'They weren't right either.' He reminded me of a kid from the 1950s. He looked like he could have fit in on the set of Stand By Me with his white t-shirt and two short jeans and chucks. Stop it, I said, recognizing the outdated clothing as a signature mark of the black-eyed kids. I know. It was unsettling and confusing. He mumbled something again, and I said, "'Kid, I can't hear you. Do you need any help?' I was still walking towards him, and I got within about ten feet of him when another boy steps out from behind the trees. Oh no, I said, quietly. Yeah, it startled the hell out of me. I think I said something like, What the hell is this? The other kid, the one who came out from behind the tree, said to the ground, Hello, sir. Can we use your phone to call our mom? No, 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 I said, groaning. Are you for real with this, or are you pulling my leg? No, I'm dead serious. I've been to the Paracon events. I've read the stories on Creepypasta. The second that kid spoke, I knew exactly what was happening. And if the creepy kid on the ground was Will Wheaton and Stand By Me, then this out-of-the-woods bastard was Kiefer Sutherland. What did you say to him? I asked. Or, I mean, did you just turn around and run away? That's what terrifies me the most about the entire experience. I didn't react at first. Somehow I couldn't. It was as if I were watching it happen to me. The boy on the ground tilted his head up a bit, but I didn't look at him. I had my eyes on the older one. He looked like he was maybe 14. He hadn't looked up, but he was still staring at the ground and said, My brother's had an accident, sir. I'd like to call our mother. May I please use your phone? He reached out one of his hands and then took a step toward me. That snapped me out of my daze. I didn't want that kid anywhere near me. I backed away a couple steps and held up my hands in front of me. I said that I hadn't brought my phone on the run, but that I'd be happy to jog back to the road and knock on a door so someone could call for help. I don't know why I was holding up a facade like this was all normal, but something inside me told me to play it cool. The older kid started shaking his head back and forth slowly, then goes, "'Sir, we won't be allowed in. Please, let us use your phone.'" All of a sudden, it occurred to me that there might be more of them in the woods— I wanted to turn and look behind me, but I was terrified to take my eyes off these two freak shows. Oh God, I hadn't even thought of the possibility of more of them, I said, horrified. I've spent so much time thinking about that day, about those few moments. Sure, the kids were weird and dressed oddly, but I mean, the terror I felt is almost indescribable. The evil emanating off those kids, or whatever the hell they were. It was real. My reaction was primal. How did you get out of there? I demanded, peeling the wrapper off a of chocolate. I was backing up slowly and the older boy kept walking towards me, still staring at the ground. I kept my eye on the little one, but he was sitting still. Look guys, it'll take me 10 minutes top to get stopped. Look guys, it'll take me 10 minutes tops to get back to the neighborhood. I'll grab some help and be right back, I said. Then I was about to turn and sprint the hell out of there when the little one looked up. The eyes I said, shaking my head back and forth. Those eyes, he agreed, leaning down to scratch Artie's back. All black? I asked. Yeah, completely. When you read about it or see those drawings or Photoshop pictures of the black-eyed kids, they look really creepy, but I still haven't been able to find one that shows what they actually look like. The kid's entire eyeball was black. He looked like a totally normal teenager, but his eyeballs were black. They weren't shiny. They didn't give off a glow or anything. They were just completely and totally black, like they'd been replaced by dull marbles. I for sure screamed. The older one started walking forward quickly, and he looked up, too. Same thing. Black marble eyes. Then he goes, "'Sir, my brother has had an accident. May we use your phone?' I just turned and ran. I don't even remember getting out of the woods. I was back out on Cliff Road, sprinting for my life. I ran over the bridge, crossed over Washington Street, and ran straight into Mogus. It was the first place I came to that was filled with people, and I just ran in the door, then bent over with my hands on my knees, sucking wind. I'm sure everyone there thought I was a lunatic. A waitress came over and asked if I was alright. I just nodded and took a seat at the counter. I drank two cups of coffee and sat there for maybe, I don't know, 45 minutes before I was able to muster the courage to go back outside and run home. Thank God Noah was still there. He usually plays tennis Saturday mornings with a friend of ours, but the woman had canceled on him. "'Who's Noah?' I asked. "'My husband,' Eric replied. "'And what did he think of all this? I mean, you told him, right?' I think he was pretty skeptical of all of it, but he could see how freaked out I was. He suggested that I take a shower, then the two of us head back out on Cliff Road to see what we could find, Eric said, and then picked Artie up to sit on his lap. Which you certainly refused to do, I said firmly. Of course, there was no way I was going back out there, he insisted. Have you gone back since, I asked. Hell no, he said, scratching under Artie's chin. Just to play devil's advocate here, do you think that there's any chance that you may be... I began, got punked? He finished for me? Well, yes. I mean, considering your experience in the paranormal and the fact that you knew about these black-eyed children, maybe your mind was just ready for it and these kids were, like, just playing a sick joke. By that evening, I'd convinced myself of exactly that. I know that was what Noah thought, too, and by the next morning, we were actually joking about it. He leaves for work early, and that morning he left me a little post-it note with a smiley face drawn on it with huge black eyes. Funny, I commented, smiling. He's a wise ass, Eric chuckled. Over the next week, I just convinced myself that it had all been some post-Halloween prank by a couple of asshole kids. I went from feeling embarrassed to amused to impressed by how they had managed to pull off the whole creepy scene. So is that what you think it all was, a couple of terrifyingly brilliant pranksters, I asked? No, that's not what it was at all. It was two black-eyed kids, and they locked in on me for some reason, and this past year has been a fucking nightmare. Oh no, please don't tell me these things are real, I begged. Liz, they're real. It's all real. I mean, I don't know about Bigfoot or the whole cryptozoology thing, but all the paranormal stuff you've heard of... It's real, and I have seen very few examples of it being positive. "'Did you see them again?' I asked, referring to the kids and ignoring his statement about all things paranormal. I was freaked out enough as it was. "'I saw them two more times,' he replied. "'Almost exactly a week after my run, on that following Saturday, Noah and I were headed back out from dinner. "'We pulled onto our street, and the headlights flashed on the two kids.' just standing in the neighbor's yard across the street from our house. "'What in the fuck?' I demanded. They were just standing there, staring at the ground. "'Look at those two kids. What are they doing out so late?' Noah said, sounding worried. I fucking slipped out. "'Noah, it's them!' I literally screamed. "'Drive! Just drive!' He didn't. He pulled into our driveway and cut the engine." I was about to have a fucking panic attack, and I told him so. I begged him not to open his door, and he looked at me like I was having some sort of mental breakdown. I suppose I was, but it was for good reason. He told me to calm down and just stay in the car. He was going to go have a chat with the youngsters and tell them to scram. And yes, he really talks like that. He's a 90-year-old trapped in a 47-year-old's body. At any rate, he opened the door, and I clamped down on his arm and pleaded with him to close it and drive away. He wrenched his arm out of my hand. And told me to pull myself together. He got out of the car and turned to walk across the street to the neighbor's yard, but he stopped short. I yelled to him, What? What the fuck is it? Are they there? Where are they? He just stood there looking up and down the street for a minute and then turned to me and said, They're gone. Oh, God, I said, That is almost worse than if they had just like bum rushed him. Eric nodded his head in agreement and said, It took him a while to convince me that they were actually gone. He kept saying that they must have run back through the neighbor's yard, but I knew that wasn't the case. I felt like a paranoid fool, but I knew I hadn't seen the last of them. The next morning, I woke up with my first headache. Oh no, so that part of the lore is true? I demanded. Well, in my case it was, anyways. Not everyone gets sick after they've encountered these kids, believe me, I've done the research. But I was one of the unlucky ones. The headaches came first. The one that happened after we saw them in our neighbor's yard lasted for three days. It wasn't bad enough to stop me from going about my day, but it was ever-present and nothing touched it. I couldn't get rid of it. Noah finally convinced me to go to the doctor that Tuesday afternoon, and she suggested that the migraine was stress-induced and gave me a prescription for 800 milligram Advil. I didn't bother filling it. I knew it wouldn't help, and at any rate, that first headache was gone by the next afternoon. Then Noah had a business trip. He had to go to Austin for two nights. He's an engineer and they have an office down there and, well, never mind, that's nothing to do with anything. Anyhow, he went away for two nights, the Wednesday and Thursday night after we'd seen the kids in the neighbor's yard. He did believe that I'd seen something that frightened me, but I suspect he also believed that I was having some sort of midlife crisis. He suggested that I reach out to Biddy and tell her what I'd seen, but honestly I was too embarrassed at that point to tell anyone else. You know what I thought, really? I wondered if maybe I was losing it a little. I'd been ghost hunting for years, and nothing had ever really scared me. Sure, EVPs always give me the creeps, and there were a couple of experiences in those old abandoned lunatic asylums we traveled to for investigations that scared me. But other than that, I was a total bystander. I was the documenter, the recorder of everything. It kept me at an arm's length, know what I mean? I knew exactly what he meant. I just nodded my head and sipped my cooling coffee. Yeah, well, I bet you do, he said with a small laugh. Your interviews let you just dip a toe in, huh? I guess I thought that maybe it had all caught up to me and that after having witnessed so much and filled my head with that darkness, I was sort of, I don't know, I guess I thought it was some sort of late-onset paranoia. Who could blame you for that, I asked. The very little that I know about the things that Betty was able to document terrifies me, and you were right there alongside her. I would think something might be wrong with you if you didn't eventually become a little paranoid. That's true, I suppose. I wish that had been what was happening to me, that I'd just stuffed all the scares down for years, only to have them burst out with a mess of paranoia. But no, the kids were real. The first night Noah was away was an absolute basket case. I had an extra couple of beers and slept in our guest room because it only had one window and is located at the back of the house. It somehow gave me a sense of safety. When I woke up the next morning and nothing had happened, I again thought that indeed I'd had a stress response and some sort of paranoid delusion. That day was normal and so was the evening. Then I was walking up to bed that night and I was about halfway up the stairs when behind me I heard someone knocking at the front door. I froze. I just stood there completely still, hoping that I hadn't heard what I'd heard, and if I did, that whoever had knocked would just go away. It was about 10 o'clock at night. Who the hell would be knocking at our front door? Oh my god, my heart is literally racing right now just hearing this, I blurted, crinkling another candy wrapper. I was in an immediate sense of panic hearing that knock at the door. It was overblown and irrational. I knew those fucking kids were out there. I just fucking knew it. I just didn't know what the hell to do about it. I'd read all the stories. I knew you weren't supposed to let them in, and of course I wasn't going to let them in. I needed to get them to stop coming around. I needed to get rid of them. I almost wished for a gun. Oh, shit, I whispered. No, obviously, I would never. I was just cornered and fucking overcome with irrational fear. I waited there for a few minutes. Who knows how long? It felt like forever. And then the knocking, more like banging on the front door, came again. I almost jumped out of my skin, but at least it startled me out of being frozen in fear. I stomped back down the steps and looked out through the peephole. There they were. The little one was at the door. The older one was standing about ten feet behind him on our walkway. Both were, of course, staring down at the ground. Get the fuck off my property! I've already called the cops! I screamed at them through the door. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's what came out. I would have been rocking in the corner, terrified, I replied. Believe me, I wanted to, but once I confirmed that it was actually them out there, I didn't want to take my eyes off them. What if they tried to break in? What if one of them came around to the back porch? I couldn't remember if I deadbolted the back door. Our house is old. We have these two long, thin windows on either side of the front door. After I yelled at the kid, I heard him say, Sir, may we come in, please? My brother and I must call our mother. She will be very concerned. I know I sound like a complete and total lunatic, but I screamed, get the fuck out of here, I know what you are. At this, he leaned over, looked in one of the side windows, and tapped on the glass. I was filled with a terror I have never felt before. I jumped back, but immediately looked at the peephole again. The younger one had stepped back from the window and was still looking at the ground, but the older one, I could just make him out in the front porch light, He was looking up at the front door, and I could see the light reflecting off his black eyes. All of a sudden, I was calm. It was like I'd pushed the panic away and knew what I had to do. Loudly, but calmly, I said something like, I'm not opening the door for you. I will never let you in. You must leave my property now. You are not welcome here. This made the younger one look up at the peephole. He stared at me, even though I know he couldn't see me, but he did. He stared at me for an agonizingly long time, and then he turned back to his brother, or whatever the thing was. The older one nodded his head, and the younger one walked towards him. Once he'd reached his brother, the older kid turned away from the house, too, and they walked back down the front walkway, took a right at the street, and I watched them from our side windows until they were out of sight. But then what? I demanded. I mean, it is real then. It's all real. They found you and came to your house and you saw their eyes again. How did you sleep? What the fuck did you do? If I'm being honest here, I was almost outraged at him. I mean, how could he come to my house and tell me that these things were actually real? I'd heard and accepted a lot. Trust me. Aliens, ghosts, even those fucking things that Peyton claimed to have in her basement. But black-eyed kids... Jesus Christ Almighty, I mean for the love of all that is holy, how could this be? I grabbed my car keys and cell phone, sprinted for my car, and got the fuck out of there, he explained, almost defensively. I called Betty immediately and told her what was happening, and she told me to check into a hotel, and she'd come see me first thing in the morning. She calmed me down, told me to get some sleep, and advised me not to call the police, which I had been considering. They certainly couldn't help it. Anyhow, she pointed out that I wouldn't want to endanger anyone else by exposing them to those things. Oh no, I hadn't even thought of that, I admitted. Yeah, me either, Eric agreed before taking a deep breath. Biddy showed up the next morning with her psychic friend Jane, who gave me a reading, which was pretty disheartening. But ultimately, it was good to know what I was dealing with and that things were going to get a lot worse before they got better. The three of us put together a plan, which included having a priest to the house to perform an exorcism as well as having a medium come to place protections all over the property. Biddy also reached out to a voodoo practitioner that she knew from New Orleans. The woman came up straight away and performed a ceremony over me and Noah. "'Whoa, wait a minute, voodoo?' I said, surprised. "'Yes, well, no one is sure what these kids really are, so Biddy thought it best to pull out all the stops. If they are demons, then the priests would get rid of them. Some sort of entity? Then that's what the medium was for. And the voodoo? Well, that was a cover-your-ass move. Once Biddy mentioned to the voodoo practitioner what we were up against, the woman's response let her know that we needed all the help we could get. Thank God for Biddy, I said. Amen, Eric replied. But how did it get worse, I asked. If all these people worked to protect you, then what got worse? See this scar? He asked, leaning down so that I could see the top of his head. He looked back up at me and said, The headaches didn't go away. The migraines got so bad that I couldn't leave my bed for days. My doctor ordered an MRI since I'd never had an issue with headaches before, and it showed two bright spots on my brain. Two good-sized dots, like eyes. My own eyes instantly filled with tears, and I felt sick to my stomach. Oh, Eric, no, I managed to say. Oh, don't worry. It was nothing good old-fashioned brain surgery couldn't take care of. And it wasn't cancerous, thank God. But if we hadn't caught it, those two right spots would have eventually done me in. Thank God, I said, dumbly, because I didn't know what else to say. As far as I'm concerned, I got off pretty lightly. You've read some of the other accounts from people who've been chosen by those so-called children, right? If I hadn't known Biddy... If she hadn't leveraged her network so quickly, then I could have been in for years of health issues. That seems to be their calling card. So you think you were chosen, that they sought you out specifically, I asked. Definitely, he said firmly. The people that read your blog, they know this stuff is for real, right? You're clear on that, he asked, looking hard at me. I don't know, really. I think people read it for entertainment. But, yeah, I mean, I get emails all the time from people asking if I'm just making these stories up or if I'm actually interviewing people, I explained. He nodded his head and put Artie back down on the ground before saying, I think you need to make it very clear that not only is this story true, there are stories like it all over the country. There's a reason the paranormal has become so popular. It's not just because of all the ghost hunting shows or the Internet. Things have been ramping up since the 70s. The only thing we know for sure is that we have absolutely no idea what the things we call paranormal really are. You sound like Biddy, I commented. That's because we spent years working together trying to figure out what the hell is going on out there and all we have is evidence that there really is something happening and it can be dangerous. You know what happened with her and Poe. These so-called black-eyed kids found me. Nick Sayer is fucking obsessed with his Ouija board, and that shit is going to get him or his family killed, or worse. Over the years, the people who we've hunted ghosts with have committed suicide, had horrible accidents, suffered from deep depressions, alienated their loved ones, become obsessed with chasing bumps in the night. And yet, can any of them actually say they've ever really accomplished anything or moved the field forward? No. We have EVPs, blobs of light caught on film, the occasional apparition, scratches, and sets of three on our backs, personal stories, and a fuck ton of people scurrying around in the dark, every single one of them certain that they will be the one to piece it all together. I guess that about sums it up, I said. So we're just a bunch of assholes chasing this distraction and we'll never get anywhere. No. We might be a bunch of assholes, sure, but there's something out there that wants us to keep looking, and it gives us tiny little breadcrumbs that lead to nowhere. Whatever its plan is, whatever it wants, it's working. There are more people looking into the darkness than ever before. I waved to Eric from the doorway and ushered Walter and Artie back inside. I checked my phone and saw that I'd missed a call. Jen, my old home invasion poltergeist acquaintance, had left a message. She'd heard I'd moved to the neighborhood and wanted to drop off a housewarming present. In her message, she invited herself over for coffee and a tour of our new home. I found myself smiling at the idea. It would be nice to do something so normal and neighborly. With everything that had been going on at the house, I'd sort of dropped out of my little social scene. I began to call her back when I heard Cap babbling from upstairs, awake from her nap. I'd have to reach out to Jen later and invite her over, but not until we got back from Nantucket. We were headed back to the island for a week's vacation. I was thrilled to get away from real life and on to island time. The house we rented had a washer and dryer, which was good because I hadn't done laundry in, I don't know, two weeks maybe? I just couldn't make myself go back into the basement. Not after I'd seen that shadow behind the boiler. This has been Ghosts in the Burbs. For more Wellesley ghost stories, go to ghostsintheburbs.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter where I curate haunted home tales. I'm at ghostintheburbs. That's at ghost, no s, in the burbs on Twitter. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.